morning. <clears throat> That's what happened to the weather. Anyway, it's still a very good morning that we can all come together to fellowship each other and also before the worship before the Lord. You know, there was a Jewish um, bookie who was at a race betting on the horses and was just losing badly. And he noticed a Roman Catholic priest bless uh, the forehead of one of the horses lining up for the third race. And lo and behold, that horse, a long shot, won the race. Now in the next race, as the horses line up, sure enough, the priest uh, bless one of the horses and the bookie just make a beeline for a uh, betting window and uh, place a small bet on the horse. And he won. And as the races continue, he watched out for those horses that the priest blessed, and each one came up a winner. Now then the priest stepped onto the track for the last race and blessed the forehead of an old neck which has the odd of 100 to 1. And this time the priest blessed the eyes, the ears, and the hooves of your old neck. And the bookie knew that well, he has got a winner and bet every cent he has um, of, on this old neck. Then he watched downfounded as the old neck pulled up and couldn't even finish the race. And in shock, he confronted the priest. Father, what happened? All day long, you blessed those horses and they all won. Then in the last race, the horse that you best didn't even have a chance to make it into the finish line. Now, thanks, you have lost every cent of my savings. Now, priest nodded. You're not Catholic, are you, my son? No, I'm Jewish. That's the problem, says the priest. You couldn't tell the difference between the blessing and the last rites. Now, this is not uh, what they call a cue of what to do in a Melbourne Cup. But often we just uh, know some things that happen just baffle us and why this should happen and why that should not happen. You know, last week we saw some very baffling uh, stuff. Why should God choose Abraham and not others? Why did Abraham give up all his, uh, that he had, his uh, family, his land, his wealth and inheritance, to go to a place that is unknown and unseen and in obedience to the Lord's call? As we see, um, Abraham's faith and trust in God enables him to discern and choose and make the right moves. Now, as the story unfolds for us, uh, we again try to answer some baffling things that are happening for the next few chapters. And from chapters 15 onwards, we see a major shift uh, that moves uh, from the land of Canaan and now focuses on Abraham's son and his descendants. Now, it was about uh, 10 years ago when Abraham had promised uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah a son, but had not told them when the child would be born. Abraham was now 85 years old. He believed on God's promise, 
But as the years passed by and no child came, he got anxious. Every year that passed by made it less likely that Sarah would have a child. It was quite a period of waiting. And as we know, most of us just don't like to wait. And if someone is in a hurry, it is so uh, easy to grow impatient with God. And Abraham thought that he could uh, help, help and hasten the process. He thought that in order to believe, he should help God to do something by himself. So he accepted his wife's proposal and took Hagar to be his wife and father a son, Ishmael. Now, Abraham taking Hagar as a second wife was perfectly okay according to the customs in those days. It was a recognized way to provide a childless wife with children, and then she would call them her own. Now, in this case, Abraham and Sarai was making a huge, a big mistake. Now, she thought she could help God make it happen. And the birth of Ishmael led to family conflict, and the rift has continued. And the hatred between Ishmael and Isaac is still in the Middle East today, between the Arabs and the Jews. And the bad blood has just intensified, as we have seen in the last uh, two weeks in the Middle East. You know, as we uh, study the accounts of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there is a kind of a counterpoint running in each of their stories. You will notice a, a, a sharp contrast between these men and their relatives. Last week, the counterpoint to Abram is his nephew Lot. And there we saw the contrast of living by faith and living by the flesh. And today's uh, Isaac's counterpoint, his stepbrother, Ishmael, the question here concerns either living by grace or living under the law. And the counterpoint to Jacob is Esau, as we will see next week. Now, it's as if all these stories are asking us to uh, line ourselves to which of the two groups we are going to stand with. Now, here... Isaac's counterpoint with his stepbrother Ishmael illustrates this important uh, truth between grace and the law. And Paul uses this story of the conception of Ishmael and Isaac to point out the truths between grace and the law. And he says, For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one of the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represented two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, 
and she is our mother. Now, we've seen that Paul basically points out that Hagar stands for the covenant from Mount Sinai, which represents the law. And what the law that uh, Paul is talking about is basically the law that represents uh, God's demands, like the Ten Commandments, which represents God's demands on men. God wants this to be done, wants like that to be observed. So keeping the law means uh, giving something to God, obeying Him and pleasing Him. The thing is, whenever we try to keep the law, we are in the flesh. And the flesh is this, uh, this is self-effort. It is, I did it my way. Keeping the law is basically, I'm going to observe this or that to please God. So the law comes in whenever a man or woman tries to please God by his or her own effort. Anyway, we cannot keep 100% of the law. No, a person who tries to please God in the strength of his, in his flesh, in his works, does not please God with such self-effort. And Abraham and Sarah thought they could please God by helping him. Now, Abraham's goal was uh, to see God's promise being fulfilled. But he was wrong to fulfill it by his own strength. He was wrong not in his goal, but in his source. It was not a question of whether Abram should have a son. Rather, it was a question of through whom the son should be born of. And God was not satisfied with Abram just having a son. He had to wait for God's promise, for his timing, and for God to do the work. In the son of Abram had to be born through Sarah a free woman, not the son by Hagar, the slave woman. The free woman, Sarah, represents grace, while Hagar represents the Lord, and Ishmael represents the results of the flesh. You know, Paul tells us, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that one can boast. You know, doing things by ourselves, pleasing God is the law. While grace is doing, God's doing things for us. It is something specific that God does in us. And if we are doing it, it's not grace. Only when God is doing it for us, that is grace. After this saga, 14 years later, God appeared to Abraham to renew the promise and change his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And his wife's name was changed from Sarai to Sarah. And then God commanded that his household be circumcised as a sign of faith in the covenantal promises. Now, for the descendants of Abraham, circumcision was not an option. It was an obligation. Now in the Old Testament times, those who were not circumcised were to be cut off from amongst God's people. Circumcision is the mark 
of God's people. It's the proof of God's people. And this removal of the flesh represents a, a denial of the flesh and a rejection of the confidence in, in our flesh and in our work. You know, there are a couple of verses um, in the old, um, in Paul's writings that says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. And today, it's not so much the circumcision of the flesh for us. It's the circumcision of Christ, the circumcision of our hearts. And that is the important thing for us today. No later, the Lord told Abraham and Sarah who gave birth within a year. And when Sarah heard it, she laughed. A laugh of joyous wonder, perhaps. Maybe because she thought that if by some miracle she should produce a child, she would be a certain entry in the Mesopotamian book of records. Because by this time, Abraham was about a hundred years old, and his body is as good as dead, and Sarah's womb was also dead way past childbearing age. Isaac, the promised child, was born at last. Both Abraham and Sarah had laughed when they thought that of the impossibility. But, as, uh, but then the joke was on them, and they acknowledged it, and they named the child Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter. And no joy until that, the joy that fills the house over the, the, times, uh, the rest of their lives. You know, it was, I thought it was uh, just 10 days ago when we got to hold our um, grandchild in our arms, and it was just an amazing time of joy just to be able to do that. Can you imagine they waited 25 years for that? What joy it is. Isaac, laughter. You know, after this good news, the Lord revealed some disturbing news concerning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah where the Lord lived. And because God shared this fact to, to um, Abraham, Abraham was called God's friend. Now, when you um, read about Abraham's interactions with God, don't you wish that you have God speaking to you as clearly and plainly as he spoke to Abraham? Now, the thing is, from God's first conversation with Abraham when he was uh, 75 years old until his death at 175, it seems that there were only eight recorded conversations between God and Abraham. So that means there were many years and years of silence in between. Now, I doubt very much uh, those eight recorded conversations with God would have happened if Abraham did not have an ongoing relationship with the Lord. You see, God was not just a tiny blip on, the, on Abraham's radar screen. Now, this relationship with the Lord is of such importance to Abraham, 
he would not be reluctant to spend time or even waste time on it. And if God is truly a matter of consequence to us, and we shouldn't be uh, reluctant to spend time in relationship with him. And often it seems that uh, he does not appear, seems to appear like the way he appeared to Abraham. But even if we have that relation with the Lord, there is that communication there. You know, some years after Isaac's birth, God spoke to Abraham and said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there. Now he set about the task as soon as possible. He says, early the next morning. Think of it. Early the next morning. He did not argue with God. He did not plead for time. No dilly-dally till noon. And it seems that he was just so eager to get on uh, to obey what God has called him to do. It seems his obedience was just without any reservation. And without a word to anyone else, he woke Isaac at the crack of dawn. And he set off to the land of Moriah. Now it's amazing that this was going to happen in the, this mountain because this mountain is lived, we call um, Calvary, Golgotha. Now this three days journey to uh, um, um, Mount Moriah was no doubt a very long and a lonely journey. And Abraham would have ample time to consider and reconsider even backing out. Perhaps um, Abraham would have slipped this night, turning and tossing in his bed, thinking and rethinking about God's request. And every time he looked into the sky, filled with the stars, he would remember God's promises. Perhaps he would have tried to understand how God, who was against child sacrifice that was widely practiced in the Earl of the Chaldees, how now he could ask him to sacrifice Isaac? Why God should ask him to do such a thing? It seems that now God even uh, advocated and contradicted himself. Clearly contrary to um, the divine promise and human reasoning. Isaac was Abraham's only son. Isaac was a miracle child the gift of God to Abraham and Sarah. And they loved Isaac very much and they had built their whole future around him. In fact, the future of the covenant rests on Isaac. You know, Abraham would have just gladly given his life to, to save him. So when God asked Abraham to offer his Isaac, it looked like God was backing out of his promise and was wiping up everything Abraham and Sarah had to live for. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham saw the mountain God had chosen and he told the slave to stay with the donkey. And Abraham was so certain that his uh, confidence says, 
we will come back. And it tells us that Abraham somehow knew that his son would survive. God had promised Abraham uh, he would have uh, his offspring through Isaac. Abraham was totally convinced that God would keep the promise. Now, even if God had had to raise um, Isaac from the dead after Abraham killed him, he would do so to keep his promises. The Hebrew writer says this, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. You know, Lord Jesus Christ uh, said to the Jews, your father uh, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, was glad. That's to say that on Mount Moriah, when Isaac willingly put himself on the altar, Abraham saw the day of Christ's death and his resurrection on that day. And I think maybe we just have that kind of confidence, you know, in, in God's promises. And what kind of, uh, with this kind of faith, as we embark on this journey, will just be so amazing. And here on the top of the uh, hill, Abraham built an altar, laid the wood, and then bound Isaac for sacrifice. What Isaac has shown was uh, that he submitted to be sacrificed. Now, what struck me about um, Abraham's, um, uh, Isaac's exceptional face was his willingness to be offered. You know, every picture that we have seen of uh, Abraham offering Isaac was a little boy of just maybe 12 years of age. But the thing here is, Isaac was in his 30s when he submitted to his father Abraham, who was in his 130s. Isaac could very well have uh, chosen not to submit uh, and would have easily overcome his very um, aged father. And it just presents to us the picture of our Lord's willingness to offer himself to die on the cross at Calvary. If there were two suffering people uh, that revealed Jesus Christ, it was Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. And their experience is a picture of the Father and the Son and the cross. As Abraham took her to a knife to plunge into Isaac, at that moment, God called up from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not hurt the boy. Now I know that you trust me and love me, whatever happened. Abraham had proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he did trust God absolutely. No, of course God did not um, want Isaac's life. God wanted Abraham's heart. Isaac was precious to Abraham. And God wanted to s- just to see and make sure that Isaac was not an idol standing between him and Abraham. And Abraham rested on God's promises and did not ask for any explanations. He knew that God would not lie and rested 
in God's unchanging word. No, Abraham clearly demonstrated that faith was not only that his faith was not only in his right attitude in response to God, but also evidence in his absolute obedience and trust and reliance on God in all his outworkings. Obedience rests on the promises of God. Obedience does not demand explanation. Why this? Why that? And how often I have a hundred and one questions why I should take on to this promise of God. You know, one of the great lessons to be learned of, from Abraham's faith is that he obeyed God even if it goes contrary to what he understands. You know, Abraham had left a very um, idolatrous society that believes in uh, child sacrifices. And now he was asked to sacrifice his son. You know, for us, actually, if you do that, you say that, well, it would be against my biblical convi- uh, conviction that I'd be asked to do that. You know, he could have refused to slay uh, Isaac and say that there was a voice, uh, there was the voice of an uh, angel uh, that voice of angel was actually uh, the voice of a devil. And that is the attitude of a fanatic. And he had done that, he would have lost his standing with God. But Abraham was there to obey God, no matter what belief seemed contrary to his. He was not devoted to his own convictions, to uh, his traditions, to his experiences, or to even to his uh, common sense. Abraham interpreted God's commandment to mean that he had to kill his son, and that he could only leave this traditional belief behind through this pain of uh, this tremendous ordeal of sacrificing his son. You know, if we uh, obey what God says, God will break us from those traditional beliefs and biblical, so-called biblical convictions and experiences that misrepresents him. Now, I just wonder if uh, I come across this kind of a hurdle where I'm called to give up something that's very precious to prove my commitment and my love for the Lord. Will I be able to give it up? Will I gladly offer whatever resources in obedience to him? Will we be prepared to lay aside whatever we love doing for something the Lord asks us for? Or are we so devoted to my convictions, my understanding of doctrines, my traditions, and my experiences that misrepresent our Lord that we refuse to give up even when it's clearly spoken by the, our Lord. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, after many more years, uh, Abraham died and was buried. 
by his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Now, you see that uh, Abraham lived a very long and satisfying life. And he says that, full of years. Now, this suggests to us there's more than just the length of time, just the, the quantity of time, but it also suggests the quality of life. Abraham lived a very fulfilled, a very flourishing, and a fruitful life right to the very end in his journey of faith. You know, sadly, many uh, uh, may not really experience the joy and satisfaction when they are in their senior years. And when they look back, it is with regret. I ought to have done this. If only this would have happened. Or when we just look, uh, or when we look ahead, it is with fear. Oh, the climate change, just what's happening around the world, the wars. And when they look around this, we complain. You know, interest, things are getting so expensive. Mortgage rates are going up. But then we are told that the picture of our sinners' love should look like what is, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 92. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright and he is my rock. You know, we do not have to wait till uh, our twilight years to look back and say that we have a full life. And a full life that can flourish and fruitful begins even this day as we journey on this um, on the faith journey that the Lord has called us to. And may God bless us. Amen. Our hand, Father, as we come before you, again, we are just reminded of the life of um, Abraham and Isaac. And what strikes out is their faith, their faith in you. Lord, as they journey through this, uh, through uh, lives, uh, ups and downs, Lord, they continue to trust you and to hold fast on to you. So, Father, me, me too, Lord, as we journey on through um, the, today's world with all these uncertainties, with all the things that are happening, but we know that we have a God who is our rock, who will watch over us. Father, we just, again, we're just thankful that we can have a life that flourishes. We can have a fruitful life because we trust and obey you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.